Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gowan. Maurice Kemp, Arizona Desert Shrimp. Shrimp in the desert. This is no accident. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. And I mean around the world. It's pretty cool. We're in 47 countries now, along with all 50 states. Who knew? That's a cool thing. We've got a great episode for you. This is a really unique one. Like, they're not all unique. We try hard. We really, really do. But this one, Shrimp in the Desert. It sounds odd, but you're going to find out it may not be that far-fetched. If you thought you were going to get shrimp recipes like the laundry list from Forrest Gump, eh, not today. In fact, I was not prepared for where this interview went. And you say, Mark, didn't you do your homework on this? And aren't you supposed to do a little research? Yes, yes. But here's the trick. 90 plus percent of these interviews, I have never met the guest. I meet them for the first time on the phone or however. By the way, this is the first one we did on Zoom. So Maurice and I could actually see each other. But honestly, most guests I don't meet until we talk for the first time. And so all the research I do, yep, I do it. But man, the conversation is going to go where the conversation goes. And there is so much other information in this episode. There's science in here. There's engineering in here. There's a lot of stuff that you think, I thought we were talking about shrimp. Wait and see. By the way, before I forget, thank you for the increased traffic at openfieldradio.com, our website. You know what? We love our website. We do our best to keep it up to date. I have noticed, yep, thanks to Google Analytics, I can see you out there. I can see the traffic increasing, and we are tickled with that. Thank you, thank you. Don't forget, at the bottom of the homepage, down at the Contact Us area down there, there's a WhatsApp button. You want to send us a message via WhatsApp wherever you are in the world, you can do it right there. Take advantage of that. We'd love to hear from you. So let's get on with it. Shrimp in the desert. We'll hear all about it in plus or minus 90 seconds. Open Field Radio. So, at the time this is recorded, the job availability in the United States is nearly 11 million jobs. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? And when it comes to promoting Open Field Radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody, knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to Open Field Radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Here we go, Open Field Radio, Season 2, Episode 10, Maurice Kemp, Arizona Desert Shrimp. It all starts right now. (laughs) Why shrimp in the desert? Why Gila Bend? The whole thing kind of collides. Well, it's an interesting question, but uh, in reality, it's uh, a longstanding proposition there. Um, It's been, the farm was established in 1995. There's shrimp in desert areas uh, around the world. Uh, it, it sounds, but uh, I can tell you right now, there's a pretty large operation in uh, Yemen. Uh, there's a large operation in Oman, and there's a large operation in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and uh, just about every area that uh, can support shrimp in the world is uh, growing shrimp uh, down in the dry areas of uh, Peru, etc. 
so it wasn't unique, but there's other people that have been involved in the establishment of that that uh, had connections to Texas A&M University, University of Texas, uh, University of Arizona, and they were looking at particularly at the use of uh, low salinity water to grow shrimp. And in uh, in parts of Texas along the inland on Texas, uh, people were growing shrimp as well. So it was the expanding knowledge of uh, where you can grow shrimp in the world. So there was a concept of uh, growing sh- uh, shrimp in the United States. And for a long time, uh, a lot of technology was developed in the United States. And then uh, it was uh, offshore with much of the technology that was initially developed in this country. And uh, it exploded uh, thereafter uh, all over the world. And now uh, the United States brings in over 600,000 tons of shrimp into the United States annually. Holy cow, (laughs) that's a lot of shrimp. Yeah, it's uh, estimated now at around 6.6 pounds of shrimp per American. So you can just uh, work it out as to far how much shrimp that's actually coming in. And it's it's really incredible. Well, if that's the figure, I'm eating my fair share then. I'm definitely supporting <laughs> the industry. <laughs> there's, a lot of con- there's a lot of concern, too, about uh, the origin of your shrimp uh, coming in from around the world right now. Uh, much of it's not inspected, and some of it's coming in from contaminated waters and things like this. So there's an ever-increasing interest in knowing where uh, all your food products are coming from. And uh, trace back is a big thing. And uh, the other thing is sustainability. Uh, Mangrove swamps around the world, we don't think of swamps as being one of the more important aspects of the world. But in reality, that's where a lot of young animals and stuff develop first, and then they go to sea. When you destroy that, you destroy uh, much of the sea life in the world. The part that's always interesting from my interest is that when uh, human beings get desperate, they go down to the sea for food. (laughs) Well, we may go to the sea for food, but what we're talking about right here is shrimp in the desert and specifically Gila Bend, Arizona. Now, let me give you a little insight to Gila Bend because this I know. From where I sit here in the open field radio studio, Gila Bend, Arizona is 114 miles east of me. If I'm going to Phoenix, I'm driving through Gila Bend, Arizona. And if you're in Phoenix and headed to San Diego, you're driving through Gila Bend. And though, according to the 2010 census, it has a population of 1,922 people, if you're from this region of the country, everybody's been to Gila Bend. What was your path to shrimp? Have you always been in shrimp? Or how did this this come from? (laughs) (laughs) My background is actually in uh, more like in human medicine. I have a doctorate in uh, medical microbiology. Okay, okay? all right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I spent most of my career uh, dealing with uh, human pathogens, including some of the viruses that are dominant right now is uh, the COVID strain. I worked on that, that family of viruses at CDC and in other areas. But uh, where I got into shrimp was uh, I was uh, faculty at Texas A&M University uh, when uh, a virus uh, tore up the Gulf Coast in the shrimp industry in Texas. And eventually, uh, it almost destroyed the industry in uh, 
uh, Ecuador, but I was asked to uh, clone the genome of the of this particular virus. We made clones, but then I asked for a question or a question: send me animals that are infected, so I can test the animals against what I did, and uh, never could get uh, animals that were truly infected. Uh, so. That kind of went away, and uh, like a lot of things, uh, people just move on. Uh, eventually, everybody got back going, and everything's okay. The poultry industry is much the same thing. Uh, there's a crisis today, they solve it next week, and then they move on to another problem. Right, and, right. Uh, how I got involved was I was dealing with a person out of Ecuador, and he was telling me that they had a problem with Vibrio in the young shrimp, particularly the PL stage, and they needed something to take care of the Vibrio. And so uh, I was working for another company that I was part of, and uh, we put together a city a product on a clay carrier and lo and behold we set it down there and it would clean up the issue with Vibrio in the young stages but in so doing I uh, recognized uh, from histopathology results that it was doing more than what I understood it could do so I knew about Dr. Addison Lawrence's uh, operation down in uh, Port Aransas, Texas. So I was curious as to what, how and why it could do something that didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I got in touch with uh, Addison. He invited me down and we uh, went down there and talked it over and uh, basically uh, came to the conclusion that we should do some studies down there to try to figure out what was going on. Sure. But what intrigued me was Addison had developed, he could grow huge amounts of shrimp in very shallow water. We're talking like a foot of water. He was also moving towards growing uh, shrimp in stacked structures so the multiplying shrimp uh, phases could go from normally on a square meter of water you can have 20 to in some cases the tropics well over 100 shrimp per square meter but by changing how you grow vertical farming you could go from way over 10 times that and uh, such that you could get over a million pounds per hectare of land. So uh, that blew my mind away. Sure, sure. <laughs> I bet it did. And uh, so I spent quite a bit of time with Addison going over things, ultimately decided to establish a company that uh, could exploit that technology, licensed the technology from Texas A&M University, it set out to um, develop it. In practicality, when you get down to the engineering of operations as opposed to research, sure. uh, <laughs> things change, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> it quickly changed. <laughs> so we uh, ended the relationship, but I had been involved in enough that I had some pretty good ideas of how to get around uh, certain things. Uh, we filed our own intellectual property and our patent is in the final stage of issuance right now. The big advance in that stage was to take the raceways and put them into a structure 
and it's totally integrated. So we started out looking at shipping containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. And then we could stack the containers up themselves. So we adapted the uh, feeding methods, processing water, ways to feed the shrimp. Uh, the engineer that's uh, part of the patent, he asked one simple question. If you have a whole bunch of these uh, stacked containers, how are you going to feed all those shrimp? Well, we just put some doors in it and put the uh, feed in, etc. And and he says, well, I think you'll need a hundred people running around trying to feed the shrimp. And uh, then you do the cost multiplier, and you go like, uh, that's probably not going to work. Not going to work the way you <laughs> thought it was. And so we quickly de- developed methods of engineered systems to under pressure to inject the feed into a liquid and then inject it into the raceway. We have completely re-engineered the system. It looks like a container from the outside, but it's not a container. (laughs) (laughs) It's something different. When you said feeding shrimp, what does shrimp eat? In the wild, they scavenger everything that's on the bottom of the the, the water. But right now, they're uh, eating um, grain-based, like soy meal, fish meal, and uh, squid. Interestingly, they don't make cholesterol, so you have to give them some cholesterol. Oh, wow. (laughs) And uh, various vitamins and things like this, but their energy source primarily is uh, protein and uh, carbohydrate. How'd you wind up in Gila Bend? Was that on purpose? Yes. In part, I was living down in Texas. My wife had family in uh, Tucson, Arizona. I also knew about the shrimp farm out here in uh, Gila Bend. It's now about a year and a half or something. We finally took over the farm. And uh, we have invested uh, very heavily uh, in terms of uh, reconstructing the farm. And uh, so we rebuilt rebuilt the farm. But we also knew the person that was still there managing things. He had at one time been down in uh, Port Aransas, Texas. So he came with a very high recommendation from Addison Lawrence. And uh, when I when I left Addison, uh, he told me uh, get a hold of Craig, and I did. We've been working together on that. Actually, an engineer that I worked with, uh, Ben in Alabama, and he moved out here specifically to be part of the shrimp operation. He currently is building the, what maybe classes the best EV car, the Lucid car building yeah. in Casa Grande. Yeah. Uh, He's an electronic uh, logistics engineer. Yeah, so, uh, that's a cool car. He's meant so much to us. He's done a lot of uh, installations of electronics and things like that. Wow, that's so. a cool connection. Very cool connection. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. So you know when you're digging around online and you find those lists of if you like this, then that? Well, this one's pretty cool. Maybe it's one of those they know you buy the company you keep kind of things. But I found a list that said if you like open field radio, then you might like these podcasts. Check it out. How about Smartless with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett? 
Not bad. How about the Ben Shapiro show from the Daily Wire? How about Dateline NBC? How about the Daily Show from the New York Times? That's only the biggest podcast in the world. NPR News and Conan O'Brien's podcast. You know what? You know them by the company they keep. That's pretty good company. That's why you listen to Open Field Radio. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Yuma, Arizona, Pacifica, California, Lawrenceville, Georgia, Barrington, Illinois, Dover, New Hampshire, Fargo, North Dakota, Bahia Blanca, Argentina, and Brighton, England. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. As a kid, one of my favorite memories as a kid was going to the Bob's Big Boy restaurant with my grandparents, and my grandfather always made sure I had the fried shrimp plate. <laughs> okay? okay. I love this memory. And I was little. You know, of course, you ate the fried shrimp, and Grandpa made sure you had cocktail sauce and the whole thing to go with it. But that memory, and I buy shrimp today, and maybe it's just the romance of that memory, but it seems to me the shrimp back in the day just seemed to be so bold. Is there a difference flavor-wise, anything else-wise, between the wild-caught and the farmed or anything else? Is it the samey-same? Is there any difference in there? The only difference that uh, I know about is that uh, the wild-caught shrimp has a little bit of an iodine that makes it a little bit bitter, but that's about the only difference because uh, we were asked the same thing uh, whether uh, we could push the salt taste in the shrimp. So we grew the shrimp under different conditions or whatever. Uh, all animals have to operate with the physiologic uh, parameter and uh, the salt in the meat and everything like this. You just can't change it. It, it has to be the way it is. Right. And uh, when you strip the, uh, the skeleton or exoskeleton off the shrimp, it's the shrimp. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you slice it, it's just shrimp. Well, that's funny. You, you bring up the salt contact because to me, in my head, again, this is a memory from a long time ago, but in my head, I, it was always like you, you tasted, it's a romantic idea, I get it, but you tasted the ocean. It was like, that's where this came from. There was no mystery where this came from. I still love them. I eat them by the bunches, and I'm going to cook some this weekend, as a matter of fact. So Now, there are different kinds of shrimp. I'll tell you that. Sure. Uh, different species. Uh, and I don't know uh, where Big Boy was getting their <laughs> shrimp from at the time. But uh, the Gulf shrimp is a different species. Okay. 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 Uh, at least the Gulf of Mexico. Now, the Gulf of uh, Cortez or, or whatever, that's again a different species. With, Primarily, the they're getting out of the Gulf Cortez is Pacific white leg shrimp, and that's what we're growing. is is uh, Pinaeus vanamay is a species. Uh, if you get shrimp from Southeast Asia, you'll usually get a Pacific vanamay or a, or a Pinaeus vanamay, or you'll get Pinaeus uh, monodon. Monodon is what you call tiger shrimp. Okay. In Japan, you get Kimura, you can get uh, Japonicus, uh, you can get uh, China Chinensis, which is a Chinese one. There's something like a thousand or two thousand different kinds of wow. shrimp. One of the things that made Baname so important to the world in general was that it was selected for resistant to viruses. 
Monodon was a dominant species grown in Southeast Asia, but a few years ago there was a disease, and anyway, it pretty much uh, wiped down the production of uh, Monodon. Uh, Thailand went from the number one producer in the world to less than 50% of its capacity almost overnight because of disease. Monodon is slowly coming back now. Uh, what Addison Lawrence uh, always pointed out to me is Madame was as close to what you call a domesticated animal as you could possibly get. Like you can put pretty high concentrations of anime in a, a fairly small space and anime won't attack each other. Monodon, uh, there will be confrontation very fast. <laughs> Trouble, <huh? laughs> yeah. In farming shrimp, you've mentioned disease. Are there other pests, other issues you have to deal with? Obviously, farmers of leafy green vegetables and those kind of things have pests and weeds and issues. I'm certain weeds probably aren't a problem, but what else do you battle? You have to take into consideration the water uh, as a primary, the, the salt content, uh, the acid, the base balance. Water. That's obviously, you can't have shrimp without water. You can't have agriculture without water. In Arizona, water's a giant deal. So where does this uh, where does this play for you now in our current state of water, Colorado, the Hoover Dam, Lake Mead, et cetera? How's this uh, affecting you? The water, is, there's a big salt aquifer over the, uh, the whole Gila Valley. Water uh, comes down from the north uh, up near Wittenberg, uh, and it flows south. And then there's a fracture zone in the Buckeye area. And the water that's uh, near the surface uh, dives, and it goes down about 400 feet. Wow. And, fl and flows down the Gila Valley. That water is uh, saline. It's uh, anywhere from about... 1.5 to uh, 2 ppt parts per thousand. That water is not salty enough that you can't use it for crops. There you grow corn, cotton, for dairy, and etc. all down the Gila Valley. And that same water can be used to grow shrimp in if you know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, there's the trick right there. So we uh, use that same aquifer water. We don't uh, treat it at all. We're dealing with some uh, mineral supplementation in it uh, right now that we have to deal with. But uh, the water coming out is uh, bacterial free. It's been filtered through the soil. It's great water. And uh, the water that uh, when we're done with it, we send it to a, a sump and the the surrounding farmers use it to irrigate their uh, crops with as well. So it, it's uh, multiple uses. Things like this uh, make it sustainable and uh, uh, it's all natural type processes. Uh, talk to me about the ponds themselves. I'm looking at a picture on your site. I assume these are the ponds on, the, on your site. For the listener, that's ArizonaDesertShrimp.com. How many ponds do you have? How big are they? What's the capacities? We have somewhere around uh, 70 acres of land, and uh, we have uh, 18 ponds uh, right now. D different sizes. Our biggest pond is around two acres. Some are smaller than that. We also have some ponds on the north side of the property that we don't have, are not in operation right now. 
that can be brought into operation. We also have a, what we call the greenhouse, uh, but it's plastic covered structure in which we start the shrimp in. We also have another area that's uh, small ponds in which we can uh, take shrimp and keep them for what's called nursery ponds. Shrimp don't like to be um, transferred. You can transfer them, but they're hypersensitive to moving around. They just can't stand the tolerance. Uh, they will die. You have to be very cognizant of when you move them and how you move them, etc. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. We keep our boots muddy and our ears tuned to the thorny challenges of agriculture. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? Because it's the truth. The Gowan Group is a global, family-owned agriculture solution business headquartered in Yuma, Arizona. Gowan specializes in developing, marketing, and processing agricultural inputs such as crop protection products, seeds, and fertilizers. Gowan has grown markets in the majority of the agricultural regions globally. A deep respect for science and a passion for agriculture drives Gowan Company to help growers solve their critical pest and plant health issues. Let's say it together. Gowan Company. Open Field Radio. Like. Share. Subscribe. So here's something fun. We've added something really cool at openfieldradio.com. For each new episode, we now have playlists. That's right, music playlists that kind of highlight the spirit, the mood, and the thought of the episode. So click on there, check out the music, enjoy it, and hopefully it just helps you continue that experience that you know you love. We're looking out for you, because that's what friends do at openfieldradio.com. This is Daniel Carmichael, Bear Flag Robotics, Newark, California. Season 1, Episode 12. It's alive! And you're listening to Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, Maurice Kemp, Arizona Desert Shrimp. What's a, what's a harvest? Is there a season? How many are we talking about? Well, the harvest season can go anywhere from uh, probably the earliest harvest is early July. you got to start back in the year so it, like if you start back in early march you can get them going earlier and then you can try to make a second crop too but uh, the harvest season can go from let's say end of july all the way through into uh, around the first of october or something like this when the water gets starts to get cold we've done everything in between you can also do what we call partial harvest. So you can take some of them out at a different time and then not harvest the whole thing. What you're looking at is thousands and thousands of pounds of shrimp. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, kind of amazing. I'm sure it is. I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the, I'm looking at the pictures here and thinking I know how big a shrimp is, and I'm looking at the ponds. I'm thinking there's a lot of shrimp. That's got to be just a ton, lots of tons of shrimp. Yeah, if you run a low uh, number of PLs uh, per square meter, generally you can get bigger shrimp because they're not competing with each other. But you've got to run a, uh, it's a, it's a numbers game you play and uh, sure. which you can sell, you know. It's a, it's farming. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's exactly it. It's farming. It's yeah. farming. It's novel, but it's, it's cool to hear the details to it because it's farming. It's a commodity. It's, it's appreciated around the world and you're growing it. Do you like shrimp? Do you eat shrimp? Uh, yeah, I eat shrimp, but you know, the funny part of it is I had never had shrimp in my life 
because uh, I grew up in a part of the world where even a fish was remote. <laughs> okay, okay. So when I met my wife, the first meal she made, we made together, but she was the cook, okay, not me. <laughs> uh, it was uh, shrimp scampi. <laughs> You're and, in. Uh, and uh, so uh, we've had that. And Obviously, now uh, we have a lot of free shrimp in the, the <laughs> I freezer. I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> you know, free shrimp is a pretty good thing in my world. I don't know about yours. What's your favorite way to eat shrimp? You got a favorite recipe? I don't know that I have a favorite recipe, but I'll take yours if you've got it. <laughs> you can email me, info at openfieldradio.com. I'll take your recipe anytime. Or jump on the Open Field Radio website and hit me up on WhatsApp. That's fine, too. But honestly, my favorite way to eat shrimp is probably, if it's not the old school, fried shrimp you know with some fries and that kind of thing love that always do my next favorite way yeah it's just got to be you know peel and eat steam shrimp with some old bay on it that's a good day right there sustainability is a big word right now in so many things and mm-hmm. yet what you guys are doing and the way i read it it truly is a sustainable product yeah sustainability obviously is you can color it black to white <laughs> right no you're right and they do and uh it depends on uh, whose interpretation of what sustainability is if you just go and ramble through destructive processes then we're all going to be in serious trouble the thing that most people don't know that in the united states uh, we're importing six hundred thousand plus tons of shrimp the production of the United States is less than 14 million pounds. No way. It's almost nothing. Yeah, that's not even on the radar. No. And, uh, you know, that's one of our objectives is to bring production back to the United States because we don't think about things in general like uh, some of the rest of the world is catching up. Uh, they're not economic in par- uh, parallel to us right now. Uh, example, the Ecuadorian crop, 50% of it is going to China. There's a, a lot going to Europe and everything. The United States at one time was the biggest uh, buyer of shrimp worldwide, but there are competitors now. We're going to be faced with having to go into the market and bid against everybody else, just like everything else we do. To think that we got an exclusive is <laughs> it's yeah, it's not, it's not, not a reality. reality. That's not real at all. It's the same thing with all our food supply. You know, uh, America has to come back to having a food supply that we can stand on. You know, China right now is into the world market buying grains, buying uh, fish, buying beef, buying Smithfield Corporation. And then I've told you about uh, shrimp. In the times I've been in China, I've seen a, a dramatic, you can't believe the change of the number since I've been there and back. Their lifestyle has changed so dramatically. And in China, if you mention food or a food shortage or something, they know what starvation is. Sure. Americans just don't have a concept 
most of their food supply. So Maurice's comments and insights there got me thinking. Nobody wants hunger. Nobody wants starvation. But what are the hungriest countries in the world? So I thought I'd look it up. Here you go. According to the 2021 Global Hunger Index, here are the 10 hungriest countries in the world. Number 10, Sierra Leone. Number 9, Timor-Leste. I had to look that one up. That's north of Australia, south of Indonesia. Number 8, Haiti. I've been there. Liberia, number 7. Number 6, Madagascar. Number 5, Democratic Republic of Congo. Number 4, Chad. Number 3, Central African Republic. Number 2, Yemen. And number 1, Somalia. Just something to think about. What's your favorite thing about the shrimp business? They're trying to make it grow. <laughs> uh, you know, at one time, uh, I was telling my operators or whatever, I've bought a new tire for every damn piece of equipment on the farm here. <laughs> well, that's just what you have to do. And uh, we're doing a lot of work on reconfiguration of ponds. And then our target, of course, is to go to what's called this Gen 2 production system, we will turn out about 1.3 million pounds of shrimp on an area that's like barely more than two acres of land. Oh, my okay? goodness. And it, it, it just goes vertical. So uh, we can do that uh, virtually in any climate system in the world or whatever. Our intentions are to set that up down on that property there in Gila Bend. We have a pretty good relationship close to the airport here, so we can get our goods to the airport and air freight them out of here uh, very readily. Uh, we have uh, over four and a half, five million people in the metro area. Uh, you can figure do the numbers yourself. Five yeah. times five. That's, that's a lot of shrimp. That's a lot of <laughs> shrimp. Yeah, no kidding. You know, you got to love that thought process because in a go big or go home kind of situation, sometimes it's easy to overlook your local market. And you know what? It's right there in front of you. Takes me back to Open Field Radio episode six from season one. The Frey Crawfish folks, they sold to their local market and did wonderfully. As well as Open Field Radio season one, episode 11, Matt Gregg and the 40 North Oyster folks, their whole market was New York City and all of North New Jersey. Millions of people just like Maurice and the Phoenix area there. I know it's hard sometimes, but you can't overlook what's right in front of you. Are your shrimp available to the public? Yes. How do they find them? Uh, well, the Arizona Desert Shrimp has a list, but uh, and then I think uh, Victoria's number is listed on that. You give her a call and she will get you the shrimp. <laughs> You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.